in the nation's northwest corner is Washington. And our resident historian, Felix Bennell, joins us Friday mornings for All Over the Map, which is his quick look at the stories behind local places and things. And this week, in honor of Veterans Day, a World War II mystery hidden inside an old high school yearbook from Kirkland. Good morning, Felix. Morning, Dave. Yeah, this story comes to us from Billy Holmgren of Kennewick. He's a 1993 graduate of Lake Washington High School on Rose Hill in Kirkland. That's my alma mater, too. About 20 years ago, he came into possession of a 1941 yearbook from Kirkland High School, which is what Lake Washington was called uh, when it was in downtown Kirkland. When they moved the high school up the hill in 1949, they changed the name, but they kept the mascot, which everyone knows is, say it with me, the kangaroos or the kangs. Uh, this old yearbook belonged to a sophomore named Harry Ray. He had a twin brother named Harvey. It has all the things you'd expect to see in a yearbook. Photos of kids and teachers, ads for local businesses, and all kinds of signatures and goofy inscriptions. But there are a few things that make this particular book really stand out. First, it's from late spring 1941. That's about six years before the U- or, excuse me, six months before the U.S. entered World War II. It's a real pre-war snapshot. But what really sets it apart are the notes that Harry Ray made in it a few years after 1941. Both Harry and his twin were in the military, but somehow Harry found time in 1944 and 1945 to follow the wartime fate of other Kirkland High School classmates, keeping track of those who were prisoners of war and those who were killed in action overseas. He circled photos of those classmates and wrote detailed notes in the margins about these local teenagers, you know, his friends, just kids, really, who went to war 80 years ago. And that's why Billy Holmgren reached out to Cairo News Radio. I didn't want it to just get tucked away and forgotten. This this individual had spent so much time documenting each of these young persons' lives and where they ended up ultimately giving their life during World War II. Um, down to the location, what branch of the military military they were in, what day of the year. And I just felt that they deserved to have the spotlight put on them and honor their ultimate sacrifice. Yeah, I've looked at a lot of old yearbooks. I've never seen one like this before. Now, one of Harry's friends in that yearbook is a 1941 Kirkland High School graduate named Jack McKenna. In the senior section, he signed his photo. He was actually, he was obviously friends with Harry. He had a scholarship to Harvard that autumn. After just two years at Harvard, he joined the Army and went overseas in 1944. Then in March 1945, in Germany, 21-year-old Jack McKenna was killed while rescuing a fellow soldier under fire and was wow. posthumously awarded the Silver Star. I mean, that's, that's, this is a real serious American hero. Yeah. There's also two members of the 442nd Regimental Combat Team. That's the guys called the Go for Broke Regiment. These are Japanese-American kids who fought in Europe while their families were incarcerated back home. Those guys were both injured in France. Now, to be really clear, uh, Billy Holmgren isn't related to Harry Ray. A friend of Billy's bought this old yearbook at the Midway Drive-In Swap Meet back in the 90s. What? No one knows how it got there. Wow. So Billy wants to find a good home for it, ideally with the Ray family. Now, I want to thank Matt McCauley and Louita Hawkinson of the Kirkland Heritage Society who helped me with research. With their help, I found several people who appear to be related to Harry Ray. I made a lot of phone calls yesterday and left a lot of messages. Late last night, I actually heard from Harry Ray's nephew, Kenneth. Um, Kenneth's daughter, Maria, lives in Skagit County. She's been researching family history a lot lately. I spoke with her. I'm going to connect her with Billy Holmgren. And so this 1941 yearbook is going to find its way home. We'll have much more about that in a follow-up story. But I'd still like to know more about the other veterans who were called out in Harry's yearbook. We have photos and more information at Mind Northwest. My contact information is there, too. Bottom line, history is everywhere, and I want to thank all the veterans listening for their service. And take a look at this old yearbook at My Northwest. It's crazy. Wow, what a story. Felix Spinell, our resident historian, but not just a historian, but a history detective. <laughs> We're coming to learn. Thanks, Felix. I'm on the case. Yep, you are. <laughs> he taught them how to be young men. 
Um, he made sure that they understood what it meant to have a firm handshake and for people to take them serious. That is from a video tribute to Devon Pickett Jr., who was shot and killed outside his central district business last month. And joining us live now, Omari Salisbury with Converge Media and Cairo News Radio's Hannah Scott. And uh, Omari, tell me about the, the memorial that was held. Well, I, I tell you this much. It's a memorial like I've never been to in all, all my years here in Seattle. Um, you know, for somebody from our community, uh, at the the level of uplift, the level of uh, just the the caliber and the level of people who were there and the outpouring across the city, uh, man, it was real special, Dave. Uh, Pickett was 32 years old. He was a business owner. Had three kids. October 19th, he was shot as he and his wife were closing up the um, the business called the Postman uh, Mailing and Shipping Business. And uh, I, I can't remember when a death has shaken a, a community so much. What, what do you expect to be the, the outcome of all this, Omari? Well, you know, I, I think that the outcome is going to be is definitely the things that community can do, community will do. You know, I think that the one for sure um, one of his legacies is going to be is through the CD Panthers. I know you play part of the video right there. I think that we'll find that, you know, that the, the youth and the youth programs and everything else is oftentimes something that's overlooked in our community. People definitely want to want to uplift that. Uh, I would definitely expect to see a continued outpouring of support directly for for his family. But, I, you know, it's a kind of a different wind that's just blowing through the neighborhood these days um, that hasn't been there in a long time. I don't know exactly what the outcome's going to be, Dave, but I really know that it's blowing towards something positive and cooperative in our community and, and you know, people trying to figure out, um, you know, different kind of ways forward. Mm-hmm. Hannah Scott's with us, too. Hannah? And uh, Amari, I would love to hear a little more. Uh, they've played a little bit of the video, but the the City Panthers, the young team that uh, we've uh, featured uh, before, and some of the adversity that that team has faced. It's such a such a great. Um, football team for the kids to to really um bond and do some great things and these kids are resilient devon's little i think six-year-old son was on the cd panther team after his father's murder and tell us what happened where did they go yeah so i mean let me tell you this is team cd panthers as an organization I mean, year in and year out, is to go through a lot of adversity. It's 250 kids in this program that without the CD Panthers, they might be doing something else. I mean, you can imagine now that this six-shoe football team, and they were a very young team this year. A lot of them hadn't played football before. Devon Pickett Jr.'s son, son uh, Devon Pickett III's on the team. They call him Papa. And so you got Papa there, but then two days later, something that didn't really make the news is Devon's best friend, Caleb, was killed in a car accident. His son was also on the team. And so now you've got you've got two young kids there, six years old, who both lost their fathers a few days apart. And you know, the, these young these young guys with heavy hearts, 
they battled out there. They had a few more games of the season, and they buckled down. And, man, they, they, they won their last few games of the season and went into the championship to play the Benson Bruins, which is an outstanding team based in Renton. But, you know, just, just to see these young guys. And, I mean, Devon was, was murdered midweek, and on I think it was a Saturday. Uh, one of the videos that we had put out that went viral is you see Kiana Pickett just a few days after the game. Papa said he wanted to play. He was like, "No, I'm going." He said, "I'm going to play," and just went out there. You know, we don't we don't see a lot of these stories in our neighborhood, and you know, a lot of uh, these uh, the the uplift and these amazing things with these young people and positive. And so, just the story of the CD Panthers. I mean, it's, it captured everybody in our community. And, you know, they didn't win the championship, but it didn't matter. But they got there, and they got there in the name of their coach. Omar, you said that there's there's a new wind blowing. And, and, and it's clear that that you you take this personally, that there's a need for role models uh, like Devon. Are, are there others stepping up the way he did? Yeah, you know, Devon, there are, but see, the thing is why Devon and Devon, it it hurt across so many factors of the city is you get, you get, you get a lot of people who are doing their thing and they're trying, they're stepping up and their role models, they might intersect in one segment. You know, Devon was rare because look how many places he literally converged. And you see anything from a mayor of the city to a Seattle University to a, a professional NHL team to, you know, people in community. Like Devon touched a lot of people. And that's why that impact is so, is you know, is so big. Like Devon, they, they even for Converge, they introduced us to a, to a whole, like, project group in Seattle U. Imagine, we're a whole other business. You know what I'm saying? The way that they connected and Devon connected people is crazy. But what we do see is, like, even me, I talked to CD Panther. I said, how can I be on the, how can I, how can I support? They said, hey, man, why don't you try to get on the board? Why don't you try to do fundraising? So even myself. is like, how can I be present more in community? And I think I'm present a lot. But, you know, with Devon's passing, it's like, how can we do more at whatever level, whatever we do, whether it's media, whether it's art, whether it's wood carving, whether you're just a positive person with lots of prayers, how can we do more for these young people? Omari well, Salisbury from Converge Media. Omari, thank you. Thanks, Omari. Man, thanks, guys. I really appreciate you. Third round of election results is painting a clearer picture for some races here in Washington State. Let's go to Cairo News Radio's Hannah Scott. Hannah. Good morning, Dave. Yes, uh, the big news after the uh, latest round of results that we got yesterday afternoon is Kim Schreier has now been declared the winner in the race for the 8th Congressional District. She's got that third term beating out Matt Larkin. The vote right now looks like Kim Schreier had 132,000 862 votes compared to 121,955 for Matt Larkin, who never really uh, gained any momentum there. So that race called, not called, though, over in the third district in southwest Washington, where Marie Perez and uh, the Democrat is facing Joe Kent. Uh, there's a lot of people who expect the Republican Joe Kent to make up ground in the later ballots. Uh, he has not conceded. And uh, even Marie Perez has said, yes, it's there's still 
a lot of ballots to be counted. Still too close to call. But Joe Kent, uh, Marie Perez is losing. Uh, she's still ahead, but she's not as head by as ahead by as much as basically. So he is gaining some ground right now. It looks like there's there are six thousand votes separated with Perez in the lead. They were coming out of election night, eleven thousand, then ten thousand, and now six thousand only. So we'll see what happens in today's uh, today's drop. Um, but no one conceding there yet. Everything, all the races to watch in the state legislature are all still too close to call. There's the six or so that are, are really big ones in the House. Uh, they're all 51 percent, 51 percent, 50 percent, 51 and 49 percent. Uh, so they're 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 be, they're separated by 2000 or less votes. So these are going to take a few days to work out. And it's the same story in the state Senate. So it's while Democrats are expected to keep their majorities in both chambers, it is unclear at this point by how far. Now, I'm seeing the challenge rate remains, uh, it's getting close to 2%. So we have 55,047 ballots challenged. Uh, Conceivably, those could affect some of these uh, outstanding races. And how long does it take to resolve those uh, mostly signature challenges? Um, Mostly signature challenges. uh, I believe it just takes uh, a a week, maybe it doesn't. It doesn't take too terribly long. They have to have the bodies, so they need uh, volunteers and stuff. They were talking a lot about that on election night, yeah. which with, on election night I think there was already twenty five thousand ballots challenged. Right. So uh, they, it's it's all stuff that they have to do, you know, with the eye basically. So they need volunteers. It takes a little bit, but it shouldn't delay things. And it's you know the election still has to be certified when it has to be certified. Which is what December eighth or ninth. I believe it's the eighth. The eighth, okay. All right. So, um, is well, I mean, I, I don't know how much they they talk about this, but is there anybody saying that there might be any uh, any elections close enough that by December eighth they're still counting votes? No, I haven't seen anything uh, by uh, indicating that um, there are, you know, there, there are certain triggers in state law where you'd have to do, um, you know, a mandatory recount, uh, mm-hmm. a hand recount versus a machine recount, that kind of thing. And nothing is that close uh, just yet. Um, and again, there's still there are still thousands of votes, tens of thousands of votes still to be counted out there. So um, it looks like uh, we're in the third congressional district. Uh, Perez, Marie Perez, the Democrat, is mm-hmm. thinking that she's going to do well because while there are still tens of thousands of votes count there, they are largely believed to have be from Clark County, Clark where County, she did most right. of her campaigning, right? So she's feeling confident there. But uh, I think, you know, I think today we'll have much clearer picture. Uh, I think if you don't see some significant pickup from Joe Kent today, it's a possible concession. We'll see. Um, and then it, beyond that, I think you're just kind of working out the, the, the smaller things. Again, though, these state legislative races are, I've never seen so many so close. Well, wow. Hannah Scott and Hannah, thank you. You bet. This is Seattle's Morning News. Dave Ross with Heather Bosch. He's in for Colleen O'Brien this morning. And here's the moderator of CBS's Face the Nation, Margaret Brennan. Uh, suddenly, even Trump-friendly media has decided that Trump is toxic. Do we 
believe that, or should we may- wait for more votes to be counted? Well, a Republican congressman I spoke to said to me it wasn't a good night for MAGA, meaning not just uh, the former president, but some of the candidates he endorsed or who subscribed to his um, you know, frame of mind in denying the results of the last election. Um, it doesn't mean it was an across-the-board loss, though. Uh, there were well over 100 election deniers who did win their seats at various levels of, of uh, state and federal government, but the overarching theme does seem to be um, that perhaps he's not the kingmaker he used to be or that the public came out and just voted on a different set of priorities in this election because it was a surprise to Republicans who um, were expecting a floor of 228 seats to be won in the House. And while they do look like they will gain the majority, according to CBS estimates, it may be paper thin. But what's what's with like the New York Post putting Trumpy Dumpty on the cover? Well, I mean, that's a, a Murdoch entity. I think the Wall Street Journal also um, had a critical op-ed. Uh, so there is more conversation happening about the future of the Republican Party and whether Donald Trump has a place in it or whether he is helpful to the party. You know, when it came to some of these Senate races, and remember, we're still waiting to hear the balance of power in the Senate as well, and we'll be waiting for a while on this results in Georgia since there's a runoff. Uh, a lot of the machinery that kicked in to help support Republicans with with money in particular came from the establishment, came from Mitch McConnell. So it, it's, it's not necessarily uh, that the president is helping the party overall. I understand one of the complaints is that, um, I mean, Trump has this huge war chest and that he spent very little of it helping other candidates. Is that true? Uh, I have heard that that criticism as well. Um, and that I think the Wall Street Journal had a piece on that about um, he is a fundraising juggernaut uh, that has helped the RNC, the Republican National Committee, too. But not necessarily lending that money out or giving that money to candidates, something that, uh, as I mentioned, the Republican leader in the Senate has been doing to help um, increase the chances that Republicans might clinch the majority. Um, and, and it is still since we are still watching votes be counted in places like Arizona, that outcome is still unclear. Yeah. Now, I, from what I read, there, there are still plans for Trump to announce in a week. Well, what are you hearing about that? That's what CBS has been reporting that early in next week, we could hear from the former president, his big, big, very big announcement. He's been teasing for some time and using phrases like that at his rallies. But then there was also some reporting that he might be vacillating or being urged to wait on that, given that the focus is still going to be by many Republicans on winning control of the Senate and that that still hot election that is underway in the state of Georgia. Remember, they have to go to a runoff in early December. So in terms of the spotlight and focusing Republican resources, um, there is some sense that that's where the spotlight should be and not on a race that, you know, really doesn't get underway until uh, 2023. Maybe he's going to reveal the scandalous information he apparently has on Ron DeSantis, who he knows better than DeSantis's own wife. Because uh, he, I mean, isn't isn't it true that if, that if he wants to pursue his uh, his aspirations, return to the White House, he's, he's got to nip that guy DeSantis in the bud, doesn't he? Well, uh, the Florida governor just handily won re-election with a pretty large um, lead, and you know he he really is seen as the uh, particularly after this midterm race as. Um, 
uh, a rising star in the Republican Party, also a neighbor of the, the former president. And so, um, yes, there is a lot of focus on this idea of like a clash of titans here in, in terms of uh, potential uh, primary race for the nomination in 2024. Talk about a clash of titans. You've got uh, Representative Jamie Raskin and Senator Tom Cotton on Face the Nation this weekend. Will they be in the studio at the same time? <laughs> They're welcome to both be in the studio at the same time, um, but no, uh, they'll be doing separate interviews. Uh, I know Jamie Raskin will be in studio. He lives in uh, Maryland. Tom Cotton will be joining us remote. Um, he, you know, we, we're going to talk about a number of key things, but the balance of power will determine just uh, and really, frankly, the margin of um the majority in the House will determine so much. And 218 is that magic number that Republicans need to get to to be able to govern. If they get below that, it's not really possible. And what they can do is really kind of limited to doing um, things like hearings and investigations. And of course, as you know, there have been threats of impeachment. But whether that's good strategy or not is something um, we will wait and see. Uh, Jamie Raskin is viewed by Democrats as a potential leader within the party in countering what could be um, some thorny investigations. And of course, we'll get an update from him on the January 6th investigation as well. Right. And in terms of what happens if, uh, if Republicans do get control of the House, there seems to be some question over whether they're they're going to elect Kevin McCarthy as speaker. There's apparently a wish list uh, or a demand list, I guess, uh, in order to, to get uh, votes from his his caucus. What's what's on that list? What are they looking for? Well, you know, uh, much like the conversation we've had about um you know, Democrats and the election they had for their leadership, the divisions within the party become very apparent in moments like these. And that's what Kevin McCarthy is looking at. He's got that center of gravity that has been the the MAGA movement within the party. Um, And uh, there are groups like the Freedom Caucus, for example, that often don't follow the lead of the leader, then don't do what he wants them to do. So that's why um, that margin of victory becomes so important, because if you assume he's got 10, 12, maybe 15 people who aren't going to listen to him, even though they have ours next to their name, um, that doesn't give him a lot of wiggle room to get done some of the things and, and he wants to get done. And we've seen this happen, if you remember, with Paul Ryan, with John Boehner, previous Republican leaders who saw kind of an uprising within their ranks. So that's why there's this force. Um, it, it, he needs to win the support of these part of raucous parts of his caucus to win the leadership position. So what is that? Is it a promise of a committee assignment, for example, of somebody like Marjorie Taylor Greene of Georgia, who was kicked off committees because of some of the um, things she had said that were so incendiary in the past? Well, now she may have to be welcomed into the fold and given more power um, if if she is actually someone that he needs the support from to win the leadership position. Margaret Brennan, moderator of Face the Nation. A raucous caucus. I can catch up. Your daily dose of kindness brought to you by Baird. Focused on your financial needs since 1919. Visit BairdSeattle.com. Since the September 11th attacks, more than 30,000 active duty service members and veterans have died by suicide. Now, one veteran is raising money to honor the dead and support the living. More from CBS's Margaret Brennan. You've got fans. 
<laughs> After four combat tours in Afghanistan, retired Army Colonel Chris Kalenda wanted to honor his fellow soldiers. So you went from not riding a bicycle in 20 years to riding 1,700 miles. I said to myself, you know, I'm not getting any younger. Biked cross-country to visit the grave sites of the six fallen paratroopers from the unit he commanded. These are the names of the guys. How does it feel to have completed it now? I feel a lot of gratitude. Gratitude for the service and sacrifice of, of our six fallen heroes. Gratitude for the 800 uh, who had my back for 15 months. Combat changed the survivors. The Many struggle with post-traumatic stress. One of our paratroopers, he now lives in a dumpster. He's a meth addict. In our unit alone, we've lost more to suicide and substance abuse than enemy fire. We had uh, one of our paratroopers die two weeks ago by suicide. How should people ask veterans about their service? What was the best experience you ever had? Um, what, was, what was the most awesome thing about your service? Very positive questions. The chaotic end to the U.S. war in Afghanistan also triggered emotions. Over 2,300 service members killed, to include six of my own, from my own unit. Tens of thousands wounded, $2 trillion spent, 20 years. And to see it all come crashing down like a house of cards, I was, I was very angry. He put it all into that ride, scaling a steep four-mile hill in Pennsylvania to visit the grave of Captain Dave Boris. I don't think I ever gave myself the permission, the room to grieve for him. I'm imagining Dave next to me. Of course, he would have beat me up that mountain. He would have been taunting me the whole way. On that 1,700-mile journey, he learned that sometimes you've got to open old wounds to heal better. For Eye on America, Margaret Brennan, Washington. And now it's 747 from the Gene Ursula Show, which starts at 9. Here is G. Scott. Seahawks are playing in Germany. We're not exactly sure why. Which means this is not only Blue Friday, it is... Blue Friday. Blauer Freitag. It's Blauer Freitag. You want to learn some German, or do you are you already fluent in German? Uh, no, but I knew that somehow, some way, you would give me a lesson. Yes, well, here you go. Uh, we've come up with some phrases that you can use to yell at your television in German. For example, uh, this one. Throw the flag. Werfen Sie die Flagge. Werfen Sie die Flagge. Hmm. You want to try it? Uh, no. All right, how about this? Oh, come on. That was holding. Ach, komm schon. Das hielt. Hmm? Ach, komm schon. Das hielt. Ach, komm schon, das hielt. Ach, ja. So it sounds like you're not a big fan of playing in Germany. No, I just don't want to mess up the language. I'm a big fan of them playing in Germany. I just don't want to make, you know, mess up here on the air. That doesn't sound good. Uh, I'm I'm excited about the Seahawks being in Munich because the, the vibe is this. Is there any Tampa Bay Buccaneer fans in Munich? Doesn't feel like it. Doesn't say, I haven't seen one. Maybe maybe it is, you know? And so I feel like this is gonna be a home game. I feel like the Seahawks are over there. They are the it feels like the Seahawks over there are like the ninety-two dream team in Barcelona, Spain. Remember, they're like, Oh my goodness, it was Michael Jordan and Magic Johnson and Larry Bird and Charles Barkley. Now they're over there like, oh my goodness, is DK Metcalf and you ready for this? 
Oh my goodness, it's Geno Smith. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Gino Smith is getting love, and they scream his name, Gino, Gino. So I'm, I'm, su- I'm super excited, and and just super excited for them to possibly get this win that would put them at seven at seven and three. Wow, it would be fun to to win against Brady. Let's admit yeah. it. it; it would be. So let's address the elephant in the room. Yes, is it really going to be a bye week for some of you guys? What do you mean? Because it's too early. It's at six thirty in the morning. Now, for for me, yeah. I'm fine. For I mean, you, you're fine. Now, yeah. I'm telling you right now, Dave, if I was in my 20s, this would be a bye week. Why? Bruh. 6.30 a.m. on a Sunday? Come on, Dave. Well, now, wait. Let me tell, let me guess. In your 20s, you were still waking up at, you were still Dave Ross at 6.30 in the morning? Yes, I believe he was. Yeah, well, I, believe I, he was. I was working Sundays, yes. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> no, it's, uh, you know, Sunday morning, you, you wake up early to go to church, don't you? I actually, I the Church of the NFL. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> Where's Rosie Greer when you need him? <laughs> I mean, you know what, Sully? Sully came in to save the day because I didn't know how to answer that. I didn't want any listeners like, "Gee, are you at church?" Thank you, Sully. Yeah. And by the way, I want to get more specific. Um, the Church of the. <clears throat> Red zone, <laughs> NFL red zone. Yeah, that's why God made the DVR. Yeah, but, I DVR the game. But it's crazy. On um, well, speaking of Sundays, when just you saying that reminded me of growing up in my household, and my grandma would not let us listen. I don't want none of that secular music on Sundays. None really? of the rap and the hip hop, and turn it all off. You only can listen to gospel music. So uh, the only music that we can listen to was gospel music. Now, here's the truth. To this day, I have headphones on right now. As you guys can see, Mm -hmm. I don't even know I had them on. I'm on my way back from the airport. And when I did that, I always work out to gospel music. Huh? Still, to this day. The old rugged cross. Huh? What is that? The old rugged cross? Isn't that a gospel song? I've never heard of it, Dave. What, what, which 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 song do you work out to? Oh well, you know, I got the uh, Amazing Grace. The, oh, there you go. That sounds more like I it. I could lift weights to that. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I, I like gospel music. Anyway, back to the Seahawks. I know you're going to ask me for that final score. Because, yes, I am. Because do you want to remind the people how well I did last you week? Were, you were amazing. It was the score. I said it was going to be 31 uh, 19, and mm-hmm. the score was 31 21. You're within a safety. Yeah, game. yeah. You ready for this one? I'm ready. You ready? Here we I'm go. Ready. In German, right? <sighs> Come on, man. Do you know what 31 is in German? I have no idea. In French, I know. All right. I'm going to get off the 31 bandwagon. Okay. Here we go. And I'm going to go with the 25. 25. So that's three touchdowns and a field goal. 25, 18. 25, wait, a field goal, anyway, 25, 18. Yeah. Hmm. So some kind of missed extra point or something like that. So figure it out. So 25-18, and I'm going to go Seahawks. Yeah, okay. 25-18 yeah. Seahawks mm-hmm. in Germany yeah. versus Tom Brady. Okay. And, and because we're playing Tom Brady, I've got I got to do one more. What? Okay. One more call in German. Uh-oh. Run the damn ball. Laufen Sie den verdammten Ball. Um, uh, Heather, <laughs> um, uh, that's triggering for Seahawks fans. <laughs> Seahawks fan, I know. I know. <laughs> that was but I'm just saying, look, 
Wet in down. Run the damn ball. Yeah. Laufen Sie den verdammten Ball. Yeah, but in German they won't understand it. No, no. Um, if you were, have you ever been to Germany? Oh, I've never yeah. been there before. I was there when the wall came down. So yes, I've been to Germany. It was uh, pretty amazing. But yeah, Dave, you know how I know you've done something cool. What's that? Whenever your voice gets deeper. That's what I. That's what I know. It's really cool. It's like, hey, Dave, you done this? Mm, yeah, <laughs> I have. <laughs> you know, you're not so bad yourself in the deep voice department. <laughs> uh, we should do a slow jam one of these times. Oh yes, 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 yes. Run the damn ball. <laughs> All right, Dave. Uh, have a good Friday, brother. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Seattle's Morning News, the podcast. I'm Dave Ross. And I'm Colleen O'Brien. You can find our podcast weekday mornings right at 930. And if you subscribe, you will never miss the Daily Dose of Kindness.